When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to Impact Theory. You are here, my friends, because you believe that human potential is nearly limitless, but you know that having potential is not the same as actually doing something with it. So our goal with this show and company is to introduce you to the people and ideas that will help you actually execute on your dreams. All right, today's guest is a clinical psychologist and acclaimed author on the topic of parenting who's not only on Oprah's Super Soul 100 list, but Oprah said, brace yourself, that in the 30 years she's been doing interviews, this woman is the best she's ever seen. Not bad. Born in India but trained in the West, her work focuses on the integration of Eastern philosophy and mindfulness into the realm of growth, expansion, and transformation, bringing some much-needed pizzazz to the somewhat homogenous world of self-improvement. Her views on parenting aren't just unconventional, they're downright controversial. Her ideas are so fresh that they cut through the clutter of the books designed to tell you how to fix your child and instead ask you to fix yourself first. Her approach to what she calls conscious parenting has attracted global attention and the Dalai Lama himself wrote the preface to her first book, praising her ability to bring compassion to the masses. And she has certainly gotten good at reaching the masses. She's been asked to speak all over the world at high-profile events like Wisdom 2.0, TEDx, Kellogg Business School, the Dalai Lama Center for Peace and Education, and a gaggle of others. And you've got to see these things. People practically throw their backs out, jumping to their feet at the end of her talks. She is amazing at conveying complex new ideas. As such, she also has a thriving private practice where she helps individuals, couples, and families with the process of finding their truest selves. According to her, she's always known she'd make a career out of helping people heal, and I can't imagine a profession much more noble than that. So please, help me in welcoming the best-selling author whose latest book, The Awakened Family, is truly a revolution in parenting. The woman Oprah called revolutionary and life-changing, the astounding Dr. Shafali. Absolutely, it is a pleasure. I'm glad that you're here. So it's funny, so doing that intro, I know your feelings on leading people, especially kids, to believe that they have potential and that they have to do something with it. So as I'm reading, I'm like, oh, she's really going to have a field day with this one. But what define for us what conscious parenting is? I think that'll give us the framework to really dive in. Sure. Well, consciousness, you know, first needs to be understood as a commitment to unearthing the emotional and conditioned legacies of your mind. So we've all inherited mm. so much baggage, you know, from culture and from unconscious parents and their ancestors. And as a result, we grow into these legacies without ever questioning how do they work for me. You know, who am I in all of this? And what is my truth in all of this? So we live off prescriptive checklists and believe that if we don't follow that checklist, then we are somehow lesser than. And when we do this with a child who's come into this world with a throbbing spirit, desirous of kind of figuring it out, and we've kind of already ruined that chance by, you know, here's the checklist. This is what I believe is success and failure and beauty and 
achievement and now follow my way or you're already an outcast in my eyes. So the process of consciousness in parenting mandates that the parent not hand over that prescription. And in order for the parent to not hand that over means that they have had to come to let go that prescription themselves. They've had to somehow deconstruct their own emotional legacies and find their own truth so that they can then unleash it in their child. It really is neat the way that your book focuses so much on the parent and not on the kid. And as somebody who doesn't have kids, I haven't read a lot of parenting books, um, but certainly I've encountered enough of this to realize normally it's tactics, tools, techniques to really help your kid manifest their potential or get into the best school or, you know, whatever that book is aimed at. Um, When did you start thinking about the fact that this is really a a problem aimed at the parents, that it's a cycle, that it's literally just generation after generation, it's being passed down. What was that moment for you? Yeah, it was uh, quite epiphanic because I did not want to see this. You know, this is not a convenient truth (laughs) to tell the parent that they have to fix themselves. I mean, Mm -hmm. the last thing a parent, because we're very defensive and we always believe we're right, and this is our one chance to show the world that this, we got it right, you know, we're good enough, our children. And now being told that it is not the child and it's all you and there's something you need to look at is threatening for the parent. It's threatening for anyone. No one wants to look in the mirror, correct? Mm -hmm. So now to be asked to look in the mirror in the most intimate, profound experience, relationship of your life is deeply ominous for a parent. It takes a lot of courage. But when I came upon it is as a therapist working with family after family and observing that here were parents who had completed the checklist. They had financial success. They had emotional longevity in long-term relationships. They had arrived. And yet there was a deep dysfunction or deep disconnection between themselves and their children. So that led me to be curious, you know, well, what is it? You know, if it isn't what we think it is, success, money, marriage, stability, uh, maturity, then what is it? And I began to see that it's this thing that I call consciousness, which is really the parent's inability to realize that there's, there's this thing called conditioning that obscures the ability to see the child for who it is. So because we've been conditioned, we don't even know we're so conditioned. With like cultural norms and stuff? Well, everything. We're conditioned by our own childhood, Mm. by the unconsciousness of our parents. We're conditioned by culture in terms of norms, what is right, What's and when acceptable. you say the, the unconsciousness of our parents, you mean that they've just handed over what they were handed? All their stuff. They've not been aware. They've not been attuned. They've not been aligned. They've just been doing what they were told was the right way to live. But what this does, this, this immediate placement of a way to be, obscures the ability for the child to develop their way right? They never get to figure out who it is they are. They never hear the soul calling from within. They never hear the beat of their own essence. They just come to be herded into cattle, right? (laughs) And this is where there's a disconnect because the child is like, hey, see me. And all they see reflected back is the parent's ideation of what they should be. And then the abyss between who the child believes they are and who they feel they should be grows wider. So you have, you know, in adulthood, you see all grown-up children walking around lost and aimless, finding who it is they are. Why is it that you, you're doing this show? To help children, grown children, yeah. recover what they once had. And that's a tragedy, right? Because they had it. We all had it once. So what happens? What happens is that the parent, because of their unconsciousness and their being, um, 
you know, completely overwhelmed by conditioning, pluck the child's essence out and, and shove all this unconscious garbage in, which has never been deconstructed. And they tell the child how to be. Then the child has to go through all their life and then one day have an epiphany or be vomiting on a bathroom floor, you know, overdose, that they begin to say, now I need to find who it is I am. Right. And that's this endless cycle. We're all on it. We're all on reading my books and watching your shows to recover from the parenting we received. That's, that's really, really interesting. So I'll walk you through my transition reading your book. I think it will be very familiar to you. Okay. So um, the team brought you to my attention, said, I think you're really going to be blown away. I see it. I'm like, oh, man, she's amazing. Like, so you're so good at your talks. Oh, my God. Like, <laughs> you are amazing. And so immediate, yeah, absolutely, bring her on. Then I go into, like, the real research where I dive in. I'm reading the books, like, really, really going in. And I start hearing some of your, like, real philosophies about parenting. And I was like, whoa, I can't, like, I, I was shocked. I'll be honest. I was like, wow, man. Like, so, and... The wonderful part is we're going to play a game sort of here in a minute because I'm so fascinated by how consistent you are with your answers. But when you, when you really start that deconstruction process of, okay, you don't get to pour yourself into your child. Your child is, is not owned by you. What does that really look like as a parent? And, and I was going through that like in real time. Like, wait, if I had a kid, like I wouldn't be able to tell them what to do. I wouldn't be able to, you know, take ownership and guide them and... And so that was really, really fascinating. It's tricky. How do you help parents through that when, well, first, what is it that makes them cling so hard? And then how do you help them through it? It's really tricky, you know, from green beans to uh, having sex too young. <laughs> it's knowing where that line is, <laughs> you know. It's but it's the same thing, though. It's really, it's what's your stance as a parent? Mm. You know, can I shove those green beans down? Can I stop my kid from having sex? Like, what is my jurisdiction? Right. What is that sovereign line? It's really tough. And the beauty of life, though, is that there is no line in stone. Most of it is in sand. Mm. And it's uncomfortable. Life is this eternal dance between the knowing and the not knowing, between the uh, possessing and complete non-possession, between the doing and the non-doing. Isn't life constantly the art of this? Mm. No more do you see it you know, played out than in the parent-child relationship. The child is asking you, guide me, control me. I don't know how to do it. And you're like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll help you. I'll show you. But then, you're like, then you suddenly reach a line where the child can't do it and can't do it your way. So now you have to back off. Then you go in and then you have to back off. You have to be there everything. You have to provide, care for, and you know, give everything. But you can't really own them. You know, it's this, it, this constant dance between stepping into the, the doing and the ego of it and your role as a parent to stepping completely out of it to understanding that your children are here ultimately to be their own sovereign beings. So you can try and pretend and identify with the role, but ultimately they're their own person. So you, and then you back off. You go close and then you have to back off. And if you don't, and you ramrod into your child because you, you don't see the line, no parent sees the line. You missed the line. The line was like way back. You should have stopped way back three years ago, right? But you kept going. Then the kid will, will create something to push you away. They'll either slam the door. They'll create the defense. They'll move to China. They'll do something to go, okay, back off now. I need to find who it is I am. Or they will wallow in an addiction because they don't know how, where to go. Because you don't know your boundary, right, as a parent. So... When you're working with these families and they're coming and they're struggling, is there like a system that you go through to 
to break it down to help them identify that. And because one thing I think about when I look at it is kids' brains just aren't developed. So if I I, I was imagining you doing a parent and child um, session, and the parent has all these rules and they've overstepped their bounds. But the child literally has a, a, an underdeveloped brain. So how risky, to use my words, is it to so fully empower somebody whose brain hasn't finished developing to really right. take autonomy? Right, right, right. But conscious parenting is about being attuned to who your child is at the stage they're in. So it does require knowing some psychology. Mm. And it does require knowing developmentally where your child is. You know, I always say parents become parents. They don't take a single psychology course. They don't understand development. How is that possible? There needs to be some license, no? Don't you think? Like something, yeah. some qualifying exam. Horniness cannot be the only, <laughs> only. Like I was in love. No, that can't be a qualifier for raising a child. So you have to understand that I'm a psychologist, so I understand, right? So being attuned to who your child is at their stage of development, understanding their brain, and then giving the input that's needed, of course, right? You, you do have a bedtime, right? You do aim for a bedtime, but you don't aim for a bedtime that's 7.34, right? You aim for a bedtime that's between 7.30 and 9, right? Because you understand you're so dealing with a the child. they have the choice. Well, not that somewhere. they have the choice. You're working with someone who's infinitely malleable and you're, work, you're not working with a soldier or a puppet. So, but, but on the other hand, you do have to have a bedtime. So you understand what I'm saying? It's playing the dance of both. You create a, a, an inbuilt structure in your life but you also don't go crazy and drive your kid nuts because now it's 8.05 and bedtime was supposed to be 7.30, right? You do it with the art of, of balancing the doing with the being. And ultimately being, as in connecting to the child, must triumph. So all too often you'll see parenting is all about the doing, all about the commands and the controls and the directives because we feel comfortable in the knowing. But really the precious jewel of having children is to understand that they come here to teach you how to be especially young children. They come here to teach you how to be in the present moment. Mm. And they ask you to shed your ideas of worth and identity and success. And they ask you to, to recognize, can you accept me for who it is I am? And you will see most parents do not accept their children for who it is they are because they're not good enough or great enough or fabulous enough or not some accolade enough, not a degree enough. And then the, I show parents that the reason they can't do this accept their child unequivocally for who it is they are is because they haven't accepted themselves for who it is they are. How much pushback do you get? A lot. Yeah. A like lot. People walk out of the room. Uh, I'm yeah. not surprised yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, for anybody thinking about stopping this, I will tell you, it only gets better. Um, and this stuff really adds up and there's a consistency to it. While you were talking, I was thinking about, oh, I really hope you've seen this, The Sound of Music. Yes. You've seen it? Of course. Okay, so when my wife and I were considering having kids, we've decided not to, so don't worry. Um, I was so enamored by him blowing the whistle and the kids lining right, up that I was like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm going to do that. Like, that was like my fantasy. My seven children. And then, yeah, when I read your book, I was like, oh, yeah. that would have been a mistake. The seven would have been a problem, too. Yeah, like, yeah we can start yeah. with that. So does that movie... In my mind, listening to you talk, that movie encapsulates the transition somewhat from going from sort of the extreme end of 
imposing your will to then bringing somebody in who really tries to discover who the children are, and in that discovery, you really see the kids blossom. Yeah, Is it what a, a great metaphor. Yeah, I'd never used it. Now I will. Nice. Um, yeah, so you have this very left brain thinking, doing, you know, militaristic persona of the patriarch who rigidifies everything and believes that children are to be seen, not heard, and they're puppets, really, minions to his directives, right? But they're really lifeless, and they're scared of him, and they're not exposing who it is they are. They're pretending. They've created a false sense of self, right? They're all, like, standing to attention. They're all, they're just obedient because they're in fear. So that's the predominant traditional parenting paradigm. Mm. Control-based, hierarchical, dogmatic, and dominant. And then you, this woman comes in, and she's creative, and she speaks from the soul, and she speaks their language. And they suddenly begin to peel away all their defenses to emerge into who it is they are. They begin to fall in love, the 16-year-old. Mm-hmm. And the children begin to be mischievous. And they begin to touch who their, what their essence is. So which one do you want? Do you want the robot and the puppet, but you'll have silence? Or do you want life and creativity, but you'll have chaos? Yeah, it's amazing. Reading your book, the thing that I think blew me away the most, A, was how deep, so as somebody who doesn't have kids, I just began to see how much this impacts my own life and how I can internalize the lessons and really felt like it applied to virtually everything. I mean, as you're asking the parents to do the work anyway, right? right. So it's really deconstructing what's what has been given to me, what is true to me, what's the you know, truest version of myself. In fact, I'll ask that question before where I was going. How do you identify or cultivate or whatever that word is, the truest version of yourself? Sure. But just to piggyback on what you just said, my work seems to be about the parent-child relationship, mm. but it's really about healing the, the child within the parent. And in that respect, it's for every human being. I will agree. Because every that. human being is a child. So it's in the, um, under the umbrella and the guise of the parent wanting to pick up the book because it's about the child. But when they pick it up and they realize this is about how they have to yet confront who it is they truly are. So to your question, how do you develop the truest self? Well, most of us have been divorced from it. This is just the, the tragic truth for the reasons I said. We've been given a prescription. We've been raised through a conditioned lens, not a lens that truly honors who it is we are. So in order to now recover that, we have to peel back the layers. We have to undo all that has been done to us. So we have to re-question all that we should have never been given answers to and we should have been allowed to discover on our own, such as who is God, what is God, what is religion, what is beauty, what is achievement, what is success, what is truth, Right? Those questions, those big life questions should have been led to us, not given to us. We should have been led to discover them. They should not have been given to us packaged because maybe they don't work for us. And it is through the discovery of those answers that we discover who it is we are and we discover our relationship with the universe. So we are robbing our children of this valuable process by handing them this list. All we need to do really is just to guide them. And the most essential thing we need to do is discover those answers for ourselves and value the sovereign right to muddle and fumble and stumble and mess up. Because when we value it and see how much it's given us, we let our children suffer. We let our children fumble because we know where it's going to take them because we saw where it took us. That was one of the things that really made me fall in love with what you were saying is that notion that I get it. I get you want to protect your kids from pain, but look at your own life and the strength that you've developed and the clarity that you gained from the times that you fell down, from the times that you struggled. And I thought, 
wow, this, by the way, this is the reason I don't have kids. Yeah. I'm afraid I don't have the ability to watch them suffer. I hear you. And that was the final thing where I was like, uh. This is the greatest lesson for parents, to, to realize the power of pain and our desire to fix it for our children and to control it because we're trying to mitigate and control it for ourselves, but we've never been able to. But this is the universe's biggest lesson. You have to surrender. Life is pain. Life is unpredictable. It's, it's a curveball. It's a crapshoot. It's an adventure. And if you don't live it, waking up every day saying, maybe this is the day I will fully give it all up and change and start anew. We're so afraid to mold the skin. Mm. We're so afraid. So we'd much rather live in the conformity of stagnancy, you know, as long as we remain the same, you know, it's much easier. But life is not that. And our children come kind of ready to be that ever morphing. You look at a child crying biggest tears one moment and then gleefully excited the next. They have the capacity to morph. We rob them of this capacity. We stagnate. We rigidify them. So we need to learn from them. They live in every moment present. And whatever the present moment asks, they engage. And then they move to the next moment, ready again, new, beginner's mind. You know, so all spiritual lessons of the mystics are ever present in this potential of this moment. You know, and our children show us that. We're just afraid. Pain is the greatest teacher. It doesn't mean you self-flagellate and self-inflict. It just means you, you don't hold yourself back in the fear of it. You just live fully. Right? And the ultimate fear is that of death. Right? That's what we're warding off. You know? But so what? Homelessness, jail, or death, I tell my parents. You know? so is that, those are the three fears, that your kid will be homeless, end up in jail, and die? Now let's deconstruct those. I heard that first in a talk that you gave, and I was like, literally in my mind, oh, like she's going to be okay with this kid being homeless? And then you're like, what's so bad about being homeless? Right. It was fascinating. Well, if that is their destiny, you, you're not going to take them there. You're not going to stop them either. So how do you steer them though? Because any parent, like that's where, when they don't see that you have guidelines, that you have the bedtime, but it's flexible, you know, all the things you went over before, but when they don't see that and they hear, it sounds flippant, right? But I know that it's not it's having deeply, been deep enough in your it world. It sounds flip. Because people come from the mind. They don't even understand what I'm talking about till they begin to live it. It sounds ho- horrific, okay? It's a horror show for somebody who's rule-bound, who's that guy in Sound of Music. He was horrified by her, mm. right? He, she had to work so hard breaking down his defenses because he lives in fear. His paradigm is fear. His life is based on fear. So for that parent, this is a horror show, right? But they're the ones crippled in fear, not me. Right? So when I show them that they're living in their mind, they're not here in the present moment. When you live in the present moment more and more, not everyone can live it 100%, sure. then you're deeply attuned to what it is your child needs. Therefore, you will have guidelines. But the guidelines are not coming from someone else's rigid definitions. They're, coming from, they're emanating from the moment. If you're deeply present to your child, you will know when your child needs to sleep. You will know your child doesn't like green beans. Don't push them. But give them something else. What do you do, though, if the kid, you know they need sleep. Like, you can see everything about it. But they, they do need, need sleep. sleep. The child will sleep. There's no child who will not sleep. Right? There is no child who will not sleep. You what just... about the kid who's, like, fussy and crying, and the parents, so like, then... they just need a nap, but they refuse? Right. But there's a way. So, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're going to give me extreme examples. Like, they're there, and then they're this, right? And you present it to me. That's what parents do. But there's a way to work with the kid. You know they need a nap, but you know they're not ready. Right. So you want to get them here, but you can't like yank them from the collar and bludgeon them to that, right? You have to find a way to, to go. You want to. You trust me, you want to. 
You want to ask any parent? I've won. I'm like go to sleep. Right? That book. Why do you think that book does so well? Right. right. It's bec- the worst thing is after nine o'clock at night. You can't deal with a crying child after nine o'clock at night. Right. And it's the child's fault, really. After nine, it's the child's fault. <laughs> I would even say, you know, I'm like, who stays awake after nine? Like, that's my time. Right. But um, so that's why you begin working on them from five o'clock in the evening. You know, right. you can see a glass of wine at nine, and you have to start at five. You know, you wear them down slowly. But there's a way you work it through. What I'm saying is that these are not minions. You know, you have to, you have to come alive to the impossibility of getting these beings. To get on track, it's an impossibility. The way to do it is not through control. The way to do it, to, to doing it, is to enter the present moment, deeply connect, and through that connection, the child will move. They do move. Children do want to be connected and rested and well fed. They are just children. Now deal with them. Right. You know. Talk to me. When you say be in the present moment, does that be aware of what's really going on? Don't be bringing the past. Is this the, the you talk about kids and parents living mm-hmm. in different time zones? Mm-hmm. Is that that concept, or is it something else entirely? Well, it's a, it's an uber spiritual concept of learning to be here, right? So you want your child asleep, mm-hmm. but they're fussy, so you can keep battling it, or you can accept the as isness of it and now work with what you have. It's the parent who cannot accept the isness of the now. So your child is throwing a raving tantrum, but you're imagining a quiet night, right? And the discrepancy—that's why I say the clash of the time zones or the clash of the fantasy versus the reality, right? So the parent who's stuck in the past or the future or the fantasy simply will want to yell, control, and you know, lock their kid up because it's they are the enemy who is ruining my moment. Versus understanding. This is the isness of your child. Now enter that moment. Doesn't mean accept or indulge. Accept that it is here. It's not that. It's this. Now work with what you have. Right. Half of the battles are because we don't want to accept our child is not our fantasy. Wow. This is half the battle. the The main battle is my child is not who I thought my child would be. Either not a superstar soccer player or a fantastic pianist or obedient, genuflecting little servant. You know. You said something in the book that, and I want to go over the myths because I think they're mm-hmm. so, like they stopped me mm-hmm. dead in my tracks because they're so raw. Mm-hmm. But you said something in the book where it was like you actually the the father was like a really high achiever, mm-hmm. and you basically said you actually don't accept your child as average. Like right. if they're average, you have a problem with that, right. and that would be hard to take. Well, for overly successful, ambitious, perfectionistic, anal. Men and women. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. It would be very hard. But the the problem reading it is he wanted to believe that he did love and accept his child as average. Right. And if I remember right, he like sort of really pushes back against you and like, don't be so absurd. Of course I do. Yes. Do people come around and finally realize, whoa, like I don't, and then oh, I don't want to lose this, right. and the guilt once they realize, like right. what the the, the epiphany is like a floodgate of guilt, right? Yes. So it's like. You know, if I allow myself to have the epiphany, I have to feel however old my kid is now. Have I have to, to feel badly about that. Yes. And how do you help people? So, do they have the epiphany? Yes. And then, how do you help them through the flood of guilt? Yeah. So the epiphany, yes, is married to guilt. So I often say when you know when I do workshops, if you're going to leave here without guilt, you haven't learned anything. <laughs> so some amount of guilt is good. Right. I'm not talking about again self-abnegation and shame. I'm talking about a healthy dose of. My God, 
Like, I didn't know this. And then quickly to transform it into action. And the action being transformation. You know, not wallowing in the guilt now and now being in bed for the next three months. So most parents who are raised on a diet of overachievement, on doing, on mind base, which is the whole of the world now, but especially the Western world, but catching up greatly in the East, have a very hard time understanding that their drive is not organic necessarily, but coming out of their inadequacy, their fear, their lack. They've just been indoctrinated to compensate for this, and they've never fully healed from their encountering their ordinariness. And so when I say that that's what's driving you, and then they get in touch with their little boy or little girl who truly felt ordinary and not good enough in that ordinariness, that's when the epiphany occurs. So then I make them see how it's now being projected onto the child. Don't do this to your child. Your child is okay and whole in their ordinariness. The child doesn't need more to feel more of themselves. They didn't come with this egoic desire to attach to PhDs or labels or judgments or wealth to feel themselves. Children feel themselves just by who it is they are. They, are the, they have the simplest access to wholeness. We rob them of this. So, yes, the epiphany takes a while to come around. When it does, then comes guilt, then comes transformation. You guys know I have a very strict diet that I stick to, except for very special occasions. And I do that so that I can bring my best every day to what I'm doing. And a big part of that strict diet is high-quality animal protein and my go-to source of trustworthy meats and seafoods with no added hormones or antibiotics ever is ButcherBox. ButcherBox is a premium meat subscription service that delivers 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood all directly to your door. I cannot recommend ButcherBox enough. When you eat ButcherBox, you are giving your body the best possible building blocks to work with so you can reach your full potential. You've got to take care of yourself at a cellular level if you want to hit your peak consistently. So ButcherBox is the key. Sign up at butcherbox.com impact and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off, and that means you can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com impact and use code impact to choose your free-for-a-year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You will never be able to reach your full potential if you are riddled with stress and have a lot weighing on your mind. I can tell you from my own experiences with stress and negative thought loops, you have to find a way to work through whatever it is that's weighing on you if you're gonna have any hope of achieving your goals. Therapy can be an option for working through things and for an online therapy option that is super convenient and flexible, be sure to check out BetterHelp. With BetterHelp, everything is 100% online and getting started is quick and easy. A brief questionnaire matches you with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no extra charge. Get things off your chest, process through things with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash impact theory today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash impact theory.
In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you wanna have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need. And Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. It's a, a pretty incredible process. It's a process. It's a process. And how, how much of this did you have nailed down before you had your daughter? And how much of it has changed now that you've you know, spent more than a decade being a parent? You know, I thought I had it all nailed down. You know, I thought I had deconstructed my ego because I had been meditating and studying Eastern philosophy for 12 years before I had my child. But there's something about having your own is a special kind of mess up. You know, <laughs> you see it in a, in a special way. You know, you can see someone else's mess up and you can commentate. But when you see it in yourself, and I was horrified. I saw my own shadow not yet healed. I saw my ego and my desire and my fear, all fear just comes about that you thought you had conquered, but here it is. And now you're obsessed with your child doing well and your child turning out okay. And the only drive from the moment they're born is to get them to a good school and then just get them out of the house okay. Like it's perverse, right? The, every day it's just go to sleep and then go to college. Like where, who are you gonna marry and how much money are you going to make when you're 30? But then we're missing the whole process of it. And so I had not gotten it figured out. And when I saw my own raging ego, which I still see on a daily basis, and my own fears, it's all fear-based, you know? And I see parents plagued by fear, and we're not enjoying the parenting process. So I help mitigate those fears and liberate them from their fears. So one thing that, and, and I'll pitch this to the people watching at home, one thing you guys will see as you dive into her world is... She's always honest. You're always honest about like your own foibles and the difficulties in your relationship. And you'll use your daughter as examples a lot, which is, it makes it so accessible, which yeah. is really awesome. And then it also brings around to the reminder of who's doing the work, which ultimately is right. Me, right? right. So what, what are techniques that any of us can use to figure that out, to get in touch, to, if we're going to, because you've been so successful, I know you've worked very, very hard to get where you're at. And, there, and as somebody who's, who I, I won't say also, because maybe it's very different for us both, but I'm very ambitious. And at times in my life, the process was ugly, there's no question. 
but then you know at times it's been really beautiful and really fun and so how do you reconcile those things which if you were to describe on paper wouldn't necessarily sound um, being in touch with the true self like how do you deconstruct that and make sure you're on a good path I guess well it's it's my commitment to this work right I'm not doing this for the ego or the achievement it comes it's great but I'm not fixated on it so my ultimate point of it all is to be authentic and to uncover and deconstruct my own mind's toxic toxicities so I can liberate myself. Because if I liberate, then only I have a hope to liberate, help liberate someone else. And do you have a process for that? And if, you, if it is meditation, like what form of meditation yeah, do it's, you it's, it's largely meditative, but not just checking out of intellect, right? Using the intellect to discern, using wisdom and the meditative process. So constantly deconstructing what I'm going through. If I'm triggered, I deconstruct. So active deconstruction, but meditation really. And uh, it's Vipassana meditation that I do. It's insight meditation. Insight? Insight. Okay. It's in, insight into your true nature. And are you trying to create a quiet mental space to be able to hear like intuitive thoughts? Yeah. It's uh, really the most basic way of meditating. It's just bare bones. It's hardcore. It's just you sit, you follow your breath, and you follow your breath, and you follow your breath. And there's a science behind it. And through the witnessing of your breath in the present moment, in the present moment, in the present moment, you learn to detach from your thoughts, and you realize the impermanent nature of reality because you realize your thoughts are impermanent. And the now is impermanent. So you begin to live in the impermanence of the now fully. So you realize the emptiness of the now, but you begin to live in the now even more fully. And so if you, do you um, follow your thoughts as they come? Or are you trying to quiet no. them? No, you don't do anything. You just stay on your breath. You only focus on your breath and you're never not uh, judgmental. You're never trying. You're never striving. You're just watching everything. You develop the, the, the witnessing eye. You, de- you get in touch with your uh, essence behind the awareness, the field of awareness behind the doing self. Mm. So I got into meditation about three years ago. I don't know that it has a name. I call it just breathe meditation. That's great. Um, I just do what you're saying, follow the breath. I think of it as trying to maximize the inherent pleasure of each part of the breath cycle, which mm-hmm. allows me to really focus mm-hmm. on the breath, mm-hmm. which allows me then, um, because of the sort of biomechanisms at play, to get out of the sympathetic nervous system into the parasympathetic. I'm calming my heart rate. I'm slowing my breathing. I can really feel that sort of deep diaphragm breath calm that you get when you do it, which is um, very, very effective for me. I bring that up because what the way that that's been leverageable in my life is in a business scenario when it, um, anxiety is spiking, like if I'm about to give a talk or something, um, every time I give a talk, right before I go on stage, I, I meditate. And that has been really, really helpful for me. Is that how you use it? Where it's like as you're in a moment where the, the stress is, you're arguing with your daughter, let's say. Right. And how does that training of being in the impermanent now, how does that like manifest really in the moment? Yeah, in the, in the now, you've trained yourself to, to pause, to go inward, to detach, to step back, to create a space. And just that um, immediately stops the blind reactivity that children 
bring out in you, you know, or you allow them to bring out in you. So the, the more the gap, the more the space, the more the creativity, the more the compassion, the more the connection, right? That's really interesting. Yeah. You're not just being led by the past, led by the shoulds of life, led by their tantrum, led by someone else's unconscious. You're able to discern, okay, that person is in their ego right now. I don't need to play. No, that makes a lot of sense. All right. I love your parenting myths. Mm-hmm. I rarely like take chunks out of something, but these were too good. And I was like, if I forget, I will be so upset. Uh, all right. So first I'm just going to um, read through them all because I think people are going to be a little mm-hmm. bit shocked. And then I want to go a little bit deeper into some of them. So remember, these are myths. She, she's saying these are not how it should be. Uh, so parenting myth number one, parenting is about the child. Mm-hmm. That was very surprising. Parenting myth number two, a successful child is ahead of the curve. That's a myth. Number three, there are good children and bad children. Number four, good parents are naturals. Number five, a good parent is a loving one. That one I I literally reread twice. I was like, wait a second. So myth, it is a myth that a good parent is a loving one. Definitely wanna talk about that. Six, parenting is about raising a happy child. Equally shocking. And seven, parents need to be in control. All right, let's start with five because that was the one that was just like a showstopper for me. So a good parent is a loving one. Why is that a myth? Because no one really loves. No one really truly loves anyone. Wow. Everyone loves conditionally. And uh, the conditions are need me. Can I need you? Can I depend on you? Depend on me. Give me worth. Don't let me go. Make me happy satisfy me. It's all about me. To truly love someone takes faculties that we haven't developed yet, and least of all the parent. Most love is conditioned, control-based, and fear-based. It's all about the self. To love another, uh, it takes evolution of unparalleled proportion. I, I I can't honestly say I highest love my daughter. I try. Most times I'm conditionally loving her, and she knows it. And she detests it, and she pushes back. And she goes, you're not seeing me. This is not about me. This is about you. You know, and then I love her less. (laughs) (laughs) I love that you bring such a sense of humor to this stuff. What do people do with that realization? I think that's a hard one for people. It is hard, but it really busts the bullshit, you know? Like, don't, don't pretend you're loving your kid. You're loving yourself. Just say it. It's all you. The parenting is all about you. It's about your ego, your need, your desires. It's all your show. That guy with the seven kids in Sound of Music, it was his, you know, it was his little movie. It was his show, his movie. So we pretend we love our children, and in the name of love is all the tragedy in the world. All the double suicides and murders and this, all in the name of love. But love is attachment. That's attachment. It's not love. And all of us are attachment-based lovers, not high lovers. So what word would you put to, and, and maybe you, I can't imagine, I really think you agree with this, I could be crazy, but what word would you put around that beautiful connection that you have with your daughter? In those moments when I'm out of my own ego? Yeah. Once in a year? <laughs> then it's high love. I can touch high love. And, and I think, touch it when... shades in between? No, I think high love is high love. It's when you have released your ego, you have... Release the imperative of the child following your way. There's no you in the, in, the, in the we. It's truly loving the other for who it is they are. With no you in the picture. 
They don't have to love you back. They don't have to need you. They don't have to agree with you. They don't have to adhere to you. Now try loving your child or another. Yeah. Do you, th- this is just interesting. It's, it's sort of tangential to this, but what if I came to you and I said, I'm not sure if I should have kids. How do you help people think through that? I'll be, I'll applaud you. <laughs> for not having kids. Yes, for thinking about it for taking it seriously, for stopping and pausing and going, am I conscious enough to do this? Mm. You think all of us should have had kids? I shouldn't have had a kid when I had a kid. I shouldn't. I was not conscious. I was just checking off my list. I was using my future kid, right? I imagined her, her name, wanted a her. Not a, I mean, it was all predestined already. She had no shot right. to be a, her own human being. So if a parent comes to me, a pre-parent comes to me and says, ah, I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, this is genius. Let's stop. Let's really take a pause, a couple of decades. You know? <laughs> like, don't rush. Don't rush. Don't rush. Why are you having a kid? And I would seriously question. Because why are we having kids? Really? We're only having children mostly to fulfill our egoic need to feel complete, to live a fulfilled life for ourselves. So when you become conscious, the most conscious parent is a non-parent. Wow. You're a conscious parent. Or at least recognizing enough that you that would be You haven't messed extreme, any right? kid up yet. Yeah. You know how, True. right? True. All the parents in this room have, we've already messed our kids up. And that's okay yeah. too. If we understand it's for the service of evolution, don't just keep messing up because you're the parent and you have a right. You have no unmitigated right. Your rights need to be taken away. You know, you need to be on a path of awakening to what you're putting onto your kid. If you're teaching them fear, teaching them hatred, teaching them racism, bigotry, xenophobia, that is a sin. It's a crime, right? Because now you're perpetuating what we have in this world. You're contributing to violence. You don't realize it, but you just did. Just by telling your kid, your religion is better than another religion, now you've contributed to separate just thinking and violence. You have to be that careful. Your child's psyche is in your hands. You know. I think it was Plato or Aristotle. I usually give the credit to Plato. One of these days I will actually look this up. That said the only impossible job is raising a child. Yeah. And that was the quote that really began my thought process of, I think I'm good, but I don't think I'm that good. <laughs> right. Like I don't think I can avoid the what I always saw as the butterfly effect. Yeah. Of it's it's something that I say married to something that a kid right. at school says. Yep. You know, married to being embarrassed one day because something happens and mm. and it spirals out of control. You were conscious of your limitations and the grandiosity that most parents have that don't make them think of their limitations. You know, you don't have that. We have a grandiosity. It's narcissistic to think that we can raise another being when we haven't raised ourselves. We haven't done any work on ourselves, right? I tell parents, if you did not go into the jungles and live one year in solitude, contemplating who it is you are, you have no business bringing a kid into the world. I didn't do that either. But but have been doing since because I see the irreparable damage I've been causing by my unconsciousness. So so one of the other myths is... um, Six, parenting is about raising a happy child. That's a myth. So I, so I have a firm belief, which I am very open, by the way, to being changed. I was changed by, by researching you. I'll be very honest. And one of the things, though, that I still hold on to is that the game you're playing, it's not success, it's not money, it's neurochemistry. And that there is a state of even deep fulfillment, I think, is transient. 
it doesn't just, once you have it, you have it forever. I think that there are times like, you called it high love. So like high love, there are times that you touch it and it's overwhelmingly beautiful. Mm -hmm. And so in those moments, you know, I'm on a good path. In Greek, right. they say, Sego lodromo. Right. So it's like, I'm, I'm on a good path. Right. And I get that sometimes with fulfillment where I'm like, okay, like I, I have fallen on my face more than I care to admit emotionally with thinking I was chasing the right thing only to find out that I'm totally miserable, so this can't be right. And then there are times where I've corrected course and really gone through fairly significant periods of, man, I, I, feel, I feel fulfillment. So that has become like my North Star when mm -hmm. I talk to people. I'm mm -hmm. like, look, the game you're playing is brain chemistry. You wanna feel a deep and as lasting as possible sense of fulfillment. Mm -hmm. What is that for you? If it isn't, if it isn't happiness, what is it? It's to be present to your now. Complete. Good, bad, or indifferent. Yeah, whatever the now is that you have brought into your own existence. Teaching the principle of cause and effect, like you have causes that bring out the effect. You know, you Eckhart Tolle actually put something on your jacket cover, didn't he? Mm -hmm. That's what I thought. So uh, for anybody that doesn't know, Eckhart Tolle has a book, The Power of Now, which all of that comes crashing on me as you say that, so. Yeah, um, so his work and my work tries to enter the present moment with a full-on acceptance of engaging with whatever shows up. I will engage in the isness of this moment. It sounds cavalier and just whimsical, but really it's not, because if every moment is aligned and deeply engaged with, chances are the next moment will be aligned, right? You, you won't go too off course mm. because each moment you are shooting for authenticity. So authenticity will breed more authenticity. It won't breed some crazy person in 10 minutes, right? Chances are you'll stay on course, right? You'll, you'll ask the right questions in a prevalent way, in a, a pervasive way. You'll stay on course. And what does this look like? So um, let's carry it out and somebody gets really good at that, but they're still on the PTA board and they have to work and it can be a pain in the ass sometimes right. and like the sort of highs and lows. Is it just that they're less prone to riding those dramatic waves and so there's a, a more even keel in the moment, I'm present and I experience, you, in fact you do this beautiful job of describing like a child can be entranced by a leaf, mm -hmm. right? They just get lost in that moment mm -hmm. and that, is that it? Like that, the ability to recapture s being so present that you can experience beauty and simplicity for mm -hmm. lack of a better way to say it. Well, I think it's being in touch with the transcendent uh, in every moment. So whether you're scrubbing dishes or changing na uh, diapers, you are in touch with the, with the transcendent of this moment. What does that mean? Because transcendent sounds like the opposite of the now, right? It's like not in the now. Right. It means that while you're in the now of this life form, you know, cleaning dishes, you're aware that you are more than this, right? You are, you are this and then something else. You are this energy, this life force, this essence, this awareness. So staying in touch with that what is nature? What is our divinity? The flow, as you're talking about. Then that allows you to live in the life-based form attachments with ease. Then you're in the traffic jam and you're not losing your shit because you are in the, you, are, you understand that this is just the play of life. This is just the play of form. You, you have a transcendent understanding that you are not in a car, really, 
in a traffic jam. You're not identifying with that. You're greater, you're larger, you're more expansive than that. So always being in touch with that magnificent transcendence of life and your divinity, right? So when you're on the PTA board or when you're in the traffic jam, to be connected to nature, to, be, to breathe, to recognize that you are, you are beyond this car. Being in touch with that element, which children are in touch with, brings about a transcendent quality to life. Talk a little bit about what you said as to why pursuing happiness is actually a trap. Because when you pursue anything, it means you don't have it already. So when you don't have something already, you're in lack. You cannot pursue abundance from lack. Like I said, it's only, the moment now will create the next moment, and the next moment creates the next moment. So if you're in lack, pursuing, striving, hungry, craving, then you're going to, you may obtain something, you may get to the buffet table, but then you're going to devour it. You won't be mindfully enriched by it, right? It won't be the jewel at the end of the, the search. It'll be, you know, you're, you're ravenous and rapacious. You'll miss out on the joy of the process of eating mindfully. So only abundance begets abundance. So pursuing happiness is a misnomer. It's like it's, it's, a, it's an absolute counterintuitive um, misbelief. It can never work. They cannot go together. It's, and it's happiness itself is misunderstood, right? For me, it's the fullness of being engaged in this present moment, whatever shows up. So when you're here and you're fully accepting of this moment, then you're accepting of the next moment. And you're not looking for anything. You're, you're full in the now, right? If you're playing is delayed and you're stuck on the tarmac, that's your now. Now be here now, right? You wanted a, you envisioned a, a, a fabulous, harmonious, peaceful, serene day on the beach, but your child has diarrhea and all you're doing is changing diapers. Well, that's your now. Now engage with it and then watch the waves, but engage with that, right? I mean, this is more what life is, is the ordinariness, the muckiness, the messiness, but we have to infuse it with the transcendent. Much to my shock, horror, and dismay, I have to get to my last question now. <laughs> but first, where can these guys find you online? On my website, drshefali.com. They can visit me at my events. I have events all over the place, and I'm having one in Long Beach, California, where I gather parents together, and not, not just parents, children of parents, adult children, right? right? All of us are that, right? And we, we rise together to heal and understand how to break down and deconstruct all what culture has put on us. Awesome. All right, my last question. Yes. What's the impact that you want to have on the world? To elevate parental consciousness because I believe that is the core of disease. Nice and easy. Dr. Shafali, thank you thank so you. much. That was amazing. Thank you. All right, boys and girls, I am telling you, this is somebody you're going to want to read everything she's written, watch all of her talks. It is unbelievable. It's the consistency that I want you to see. Just when you think, ha-ha, that question will get her. She's got an answer for it. It is absolutely fascinating. It was a journey. And that is the highest compliment that I can pay anybody when I've done research is that they've taken me on a journey and made me rethink some of the most fundamental things in my life. Absolutely incredible. Whether you adopt it all or it just makes you rethink your paradigm, it doesn't matter. It, it is intriguing, it is important, and it, she has her finger on the exact right questions that you need to be asking. Whether you're a parent or not, I'm not, and I found this stuff taking me to an absolutely engrossing, fascinating place 
I am truly mortified that this interview has come to an end and hopefully we will be able to get her back on at some point. That would be incredible. Guys, she will change you if you let her. All right, it's a weekly show. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Thank you guys so much for watching. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And for exclusive content, be sure to sign up for our newsletter. All of that stuff helps us get even more amazing guests on the show and helps us continue to build this community, which at the end of the day is all we care about. So thank you guys so much for being a part of the Impact Theory community.